Well, the great communicator and theologian Homer Simpson once said, I have three kids and no money. Why can't I have three money and no kids? I don't know about you, but I have felt that every once in a while. I don't know that I've ever verbalized it to my kids. Actually, I have. I said, do you know how much money mom and I would have if we didn't have you? Braces and sports and school and everything we have to spend. But Homer and you and I can maybe consider ourselves among the 77% of Americans who feel anxiety over their finances. 60% said they believe that finances control their lives. Now, if you haven't felt that kind of frustration or that fear or that worry or that anger about your money, maybe the last two years are starting to change your mind a little bit. Household income is down over the last two years. Household debt, on the other hand, is up over the last two years. Speaking of household debt, Californians carry credit card debt totaling more than $116 billion. That's 12% of the nation's over $1 trillion in credit card debt. Let me say that again. In California, we're responsible for 12% of the nation's over $1 trillion in credit card debt. We carry on average in California $10,704 in credit card debt per household. That's $4,000 higher than the national average. In 2021, the average mortgage payment in California was just $2,015. One year later, in 2022, the average payment had rocketed to $3,605. The average monthly car payment is $730 for a new car. For a used car, it's $530. So that means someone making the median income in California of $7,084 a month for the household, it's likely that more than 50% of that money is going to pay off debt. Now, before we slump our shoulders and shake our angry fist at corporations and a government out of control, It should be considered by you and I that 84% of Americans admit that they overspend each month. Half of those people say that they're guilty of overspending in order to keep up or impress other people. 70% of Americans admit to having bad spending habits. I'm not sure where the other 14% think that overspending each month isn't a bad habit, but... What's the point to all of these depressing statistics and studies other than just adding more guilt and stress to those of us who feel guilt and stress over our finances? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question. (laughs) The answer is because I think that I have made a point, hopefully effectively and clearly, that among all of the things that you and I are carrying around with us that are weighting us down, that is holding us back, that's keeping us from reaching our destination of God's highest and best, a future that's better than today, 
a life that's blessed and we don't feel like it's cursed, achieving the things that we believe that we were created for, fulfilling the purpose for which we were created, the only thing that I think that all of us similarly carry is the weightiness of money. Money seems to be the unifying ingredient in all of our lives that seem to make each one of us feel some level of frustration or stress. And maybe I should say, not money, but possibly the lack of, to do everything that we think we need to do in our lives. It's no coincidence that people most commonly use the word drowning when they are talking about the feeling they have when they don't have enough money. But I do wonder if we were suddenly to all have more money, would we be better with our money than we are today? I wonder if we might not just be putting on a gold-plated life jacket. Gold's wonderful, but it's heavy. Heavy enough that adding more of it to your life won't necessarily undrown you. It won't necessarily not drag you down. I think that money can be a wonderful tool. I think that actually God wants us to be entrusted with more of it. But I will tell you this, God will not give more to those he can't trust with what they already have. So, we're going to talk a little bit, hopefully change some mindsets, hopefully begin some new disciplines and practices in our life, just a new attitude which will change the way money impacts the way we see our lives and how money plays a part of it. So to get rid of the habits that sink my financial future, that are just gonna keep us feeling stressed, that are just gonna keep us feeling like money controls our life, just keep us from clenching our sphincters whenever the pastor stands up and starts talking about money again. Isn't it weird that if I talked about something that you have no issues with so whatsoever, you, oh my gosh, pastor, what a great message. Thank you. Thank you, pastor. I know there's a lot of people here who needed to hear that. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, pastor. I'll be praying for them too. Man, money though. Money just makes everybody feel. <sighs> so take a deep breath, pretend I'm talking about your neighbor and that you don't have an issue with this at all. To get rid of the habits that sink my financial future, I have to number one, stop using my money to make a mess of things. Stop using my money to make a mess of things. And I'm doing a little play on words. We're gonna talk about things for a second. So inflation in its most basic terms is this. The increase of prices, which translates to the decrease in spending power over a course of time. That's the most basic definition of inflation. And if you don't know that over the last two years, inflation is over 18%. Prices have risen 18%. In the most practical terms, Think of it like this. The dollar that you had in your winter jacket that you haven't pulled out of the closet in two years, that dollar is only worth 88 cents. Or 80, yes, what did I say? Wait, 82 cents. 
Math, I math really good. It's only worth 82 cents. So money is decreasing in its ability to do what it once did. That means that no matter how much money you have, it's been devalued over the last two years. That is a really, really disappointing statistics. But let me say this, the majority of the stress and anxiety and frustration that you and I feel over our money, over our situation, has little to do with the global economy, the national economy, even California's economy, our local economy. It has a lot more to do with us. It has a lot more to do with the avoidable behaviors that you and I have that we're going for the sake of this conversation called lifestyle inflation. Let me describe to you what lifestyle inflation looks like. So go back to a time in your life, um, maybe you just graduated from school, uh, you just graduated with your degree, or maybe you were one who went right out into getting a job, and this was right before you accepted your first real job. So things were tough at that point in your life. I mean, your car was being held together with duct tape, bailing wire, and prayers, right? You were happy when it got you from point A to point B. You had six roommates just to be able to afford rent. Your credit cards were maxed out, not for extravagant things, but just to pay the bills, just to have food, just to be able to keep your car running and visit the doctor every once in a while. You were surviving off of eating top ramen at home and cold cereal, and when you really had a few extra bucks in your pocket, you would treat yourself to a little Taco Bell or maybe some Little Caesars for some crazy bread and a nice $5 pizza, right? And then you brewed coffee from Winco instead of going out and having a $6 Starbucks. It was tough, but you had just learned how to make it like that. Then this really, really wonderful thing happens. You accept your, your first real job. That, that, that offer comes and you can't even believe that you finally landed this job. Even better than that, you finally get your first real paycheck. But you're a responsible young adult. And so you take out your rent money and you go buy some decent groceries and then you pay back friends and family who you've been borrowing money from, or at least you start paying them back. You're really hoping that they're gonna say, don't worry about it, I got you. But you fill your gas tank, you do all the things that you believe that you're supposed to do as a responsible young adult, and amazingly, there's enough money left over. It's not Taco Bell. You're going to Chili's tonight. <laughs> And next paycheck, you've got your eyes set on Applebee's. <laughs> but now fast forward three months later, you've been earning your money, you've been working hard, and you look at your car compared to everybody else's car in the company parking lot, and you realize what a heap of junk you've got. And so you go out and you qualify, barely, but you get yourself a loan and you get yourself a car that you're not embarrassed to drive. And truthfully, the six roommates thing has to end. You have to get up early in the morning and these slobs are just living this irresponsible lifestyle. So you stretch so that you can live in a place of your own. And honestly, making payments on a credit card debt 
of things you bought months ago, maybe even years ago, that's no fun. So you say, I'm just gonna make the minimum payment because I really can't afford to do the car and to do the uh, rent and to do the kind of food I need. Oh, and speaking of food, you don't really, you can't, if you think of having Top Ramen one more time, you're gonna throw up. And it's embarrassing that everybody at Taco Bell knows you and they got you a Christmas card this year and they've been wondering where you've been. So it's a little more frequent and a little more common that you've replaced that now with Chipotle. And it's no longer Little Caesar's Kitchen or Little Caesar's Kitchen, it's California Pizza Kitchen. And you're not doing the kind of uh, 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 um, top ramen experiments at home, adding syrup to it or do whatever. You're now going and getting rolls at Makuni. Now, let me just stop right there because the things that you once considered luxuries have now become necessities. The only difference is that you just started making more money. You now had more dollars at your disposal and so begins lifestyle inflation. As soon as we begin to make more, we find a way to spend more. And we spend so much because we make so little that we aren't able to save, invest, or give like we're supposed to. And so we walk around with a constant sense of stress and a constant sense of guilt. Listen to what Jesus said in his, out of 11, or out of 39 parables, Jesus, 11 of them, he used to talk about money. The Bible actually talks about money in a few thousand verses. Not because the Bible's talking about the wonders of money and the excitement of money and how powerful money is, but in its ability to ruin our lives because of the power that we give it. But listen to what Jesus said in Luke 12, 15. He said to them, watch out, be on your guard against wanting. There's the verb wanting to have more and more things. Don't be on your guard from things. Be on your guard from wanting the things. Life is not made up of how much a person has. Paul wrote to Timothy, a pastor that he was entrusting with one of his churches, and he warned him with one of the most famous cautionary statements we've heard before. It says, but to those who chase riches, But those who chase riches are constantly falling into temptation and snares, traps. They're regularly caught by their own stupid and harmful desires, dragged down and pulled under into ruin and destruction. Now listen to this. For the love, wanting love, the love of money and what it can buy is the root of all sorts of evil. Often the most misquoted passage when people say money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil, but the desire to have more, to buy more things, causes all kinds of evil things to happen in your life. Think of how powerless money is by itself. Take $1,000, put it in a shoebox, put it at the top of your closet, and forget about it for a month. At the end of the month, it will not have fed you, or clothed you, or entertained you, or made you feel better. It will have done nothing to make you happier or feel more content. Money 
has no power in and of itself. The power of money comes from what you and I believe that it can do, and our beliefs then lead to how we spend our money. And the problem comes when we believe that money can buy us a good life. Secondly, to get rid of the habits that sink my financial future, I have to start making better choices about who gets my trust. Listen to this passage from Luke 16, 13. This is Jesus again speaking, and he says this. Imagine you're a servant, and you have two masters giving you orders. What are you going to do when they have conflicting demands? You can't serve both, so you'll either hate the first and love the second, depending on which command you like the most, or you'll faithfully serve the first and despise the second. One master is God and the other master is money. You can't serve them both. The reality is, like I talked about, I think last week is when we talked about the gods and the idols that we create in our lives. Money has to stand as probably one of the most powerful that we would never admit because if I asked anybody in here, given the choice to serve God or money, who will you serve? Every single one of us would say, well, of course I would serve God. I mean, I think even people who aren't followers of Christ that have some sense of spirituality to them would probably give a simple or a similar answer if somebody said, listen, if God is real and God is the, is the ruler of the universe and he is a master and money is a master, which do you believe that you should serve? I think that even someone who's not a follower of Christ would say that they would serve God. But truthfully, it doesn't even matter what we say because Jesus gives us a really accurate polygraph test. He says it's super simple to discover what you and I truly believe about who we truly trust. Listen to what it says in Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Jesus speaking, he said, some people store up treasures in their homes right here on earth. And this is short-sighted. It doesn't, uh, or don't underestimate it or don't undertake it, pardon me. Moths and rust will eat up any treasure that you may store here. Pause it right here for a second. Jesus stops and says, some people are accumulating things, but I want you to know, and it's not moth and rust that you and I mostly worry about in our home. It's the idea that a year from now, the thing that we valued a year prior, the thing that we had to have, it won't be the thing we need anymore. It won't be the thing we want anymore. Take cars, for example. They've almost become disposable. We have one that's five years old and it feels old to us. It's getting boring. It started to have trouble and we begin to rationalize how we can get rid of this one and get another one at just 50 bucks more a month or 100 bucks more a month. Go ahead and go on to the next one. Thieves may break into your homes and steal your precious trinkets. Instead, put up your treasures in heaven where moths do not attack, where rust does not corrode, and where thieves are barred at the door. For where your treasure is, I want you to look at the words right here, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want you to hear this. This verse, this passage is less about money and it's more about what we value and what we trust. 
It really doesn't have as much to do with money as the fact that you and I have found something else that's made us trust that and value that more. Because I want you to take note that it doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. That's, it gets quoted that way all the time. Where your heart is, that's where all you're gonna put your treasure. That's not it at all. It's where you have accumulated treasure that's your affection, your loyalty, your value, and your trust will be. And you will store that and hide that and accumulate it and protect it and you'll do anything you can to preserve that because that's what you value most. And Jesus simply said you cannot feel that way about money and also feel that way about God. The things of God the priorities of God. So let me pause real quick right here and say the point to this is, you can't say that you want to live the life God has planned for you and you want God's highest and best if you are pursuing everything else or anything else. Because the warning is, don't want more and more things. Things in themselves aren't bad. We need some of those things. But the truth is we live in a culture, in a society, and in a country in which things are worshiped. And you and I might not believe that we are worshipers of things, but if I started taking your things or I started asking you to donate things that you value and say, could you give that so we could sell it and fund ministry at the church? I promise you at some point it becomes very, very uncomfortable we begin to guard and we begin to hide and we begin to go, PC's coming over, hide the silver, hide the good china, hide everything we love, hide the new 70 inch flat screen, park the car down at the neighbors, don't let them see that we've got anything good here. Number three and finally is this, to get rid of the habits that sink my financial future, I have to start making every dollar reach its purpose and potential. Start making every dollar reach its purpose and potential. Now, Jesus once told a very wealthy young man, what must I do, the young man asked, to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, follow these commandments. And he says, I've done all of that. And Jesus said, then sell everything you have, give the money to the poor, and follow me. And I think that you and I, when talking about money and God in the same conversation, believe that he's gonna ask the same thing of us, that truly all God is working towards is trying to get every last dollar from us. There's literally nothing in the Bible that would indicate that's true at all. As a matter of fact, just the opposite is true. That if we will show God that he's first in our life, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all of these things. He was talking about food and shelter and things that we desire in our life. He said, then these things will be added to you. You see, the things aren't the problem. It's what we seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then God gives you everything that you need, fulfills the desires of your heart. The problem is that you and I, when looking at a dollar, don't ask the question routinely, what is this dollar's purpose? 
What potential does this dollar have? It does have the ability to buy things, to buy coffee, to pay for the things that we want and need in our life. But I want you to imagine the difference between paying for the things we need and all of the dollars that go to things that we think we need, that we use the word need because if we say we just want it, then we know it's an extravagance, then we know it's unnecessary, then we know it's probably wasteful. I've gotten into a habit <clears throat> in my life where I sell things to buy things. If I believe that the thing is not a necessity for our family, a needed thing, then I don't wanna spend new dollars on it. I want those dollars to go to something that we need or something that has a purpose and a potential that will last. And so if I have things in my house that don't have a purpose and a potential, I sell those things to take those dollars and then get something else. That's recognizing that a dollar has a value and you can only get a dollar once, by the way. I mean, that dollar, you'll only be able to spend that once. You have the potential to make more of those and maybe that's the deceit we believe that we'll just have an endless supply of these so we'll eventually get to the point where we can start doing with our money what we should have been doing all along. There's a great passage in Matthew 22:15 through 21 they had trapped Jesus, or the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, and it says that's when the Pharisees plotted a way to trap him into saying something damaging. They sent their disciples, the Pharisees had students as well, with a few of Herod's, who were called Herodians, followers mixed in, to ask this to Jesus. Teacher, we know you have integrity and you teach the way of God accurately and you're indifferent to popular opinion and you don't pander to your students. They didn't believe any of that, by the way. So tell us honestly, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? This was a completely Jewish crowd for the most part who were being occupied by the Roman government, mostly the Roman military. Jesus knew they were up to no good and he said, why are you playing these games with me? And why would you ask such stupid questions? You don't believe any of those things about me. Why are you trying to trap me? Do you have a coin? Let me see it. And they handed him a silver piece. He said, this engraving, who does it look like? Whose face is on it? And whose name is on it? And they said, Caesar. Then give to Caesar what is his and give to God what is his. Here's Jesus making a declaration that probably upset a lot of different people for different reasons. But mostly they were upset because they wanted Jesus to say, no, no, no. We believe that the Romans are ruling us unjustly and we believe that they're an illegitimate government and we believe that the throne of David should rule the Jews and no one else should rule the Jews and so by paying taxes to Caesar, we're showing our allegiance to him. And he would have had a crowd that would have loved to hear that and he would have had then leaders that could have turned around and used that to get Jesus killed because they were not gonna allow for an insurrection by this radical Jewish teacher. But Jesus instead said that you can give to Caesar without cheating God, and you can give to God without cheating Caesar. In other words, you should have enough in your life to be able to do everything that you need to do if you do it the right way, if you appropriate your money the right way. 
Let me read this passage in Romans 13, seven, in which Paul goes on with the same vein of thinking. He says, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then pay revenue. If respect, then pay respect. If honor, then pay honor. Paul was saying, you should use your money to make sure that it's going to everywhere that it has to go. If you owe someone something, then give them the thing that you owe them, man and God. I could take a nap with how quiet it is in this room. Amen. Well, so that we can end this uncomfortable journey together, let me close with a parable of Jesus's and then close with the passage in which I really don't ever hear anyone teach on this, me included. And um, in studying for this, I came across this and I was like, man, that is so good because it feels un-Jesus-y almost. <clears throat> so, Jesus begins to tell this story. The Bible says that Jesus never spoke to the crowd, so we know he was speaking to a larger number of people who he wanted to communicate a loftier, more difficult to understand concept, and he used a story to do it, and Jesus was a master storyteller, and he starts telling the story of a rich man, and he told a lot of stories of rich landowners and rich lords and rich masters because every person listening to a story never puts themselves in that position. They're always the poor person in the story. No matter how much money a person has, they know there's someone else with more money, right? And so Jesus starts telling this story of a rich man, and he says, and that rich man was so wealthy, he had a man who worked for him who just took care of his books. Any accounts payable, this man took care of them all. And the rich man discovered that this manager of his assets, this financial manager, had been stealing from him, cooking the books and skimming money. So when people owed the master something, this man would cook the books and make sure that it showed that they owed him less and he would take the extra. The manager, or the rich man, found out about it and he immediately confronted the manager and he fired him on the spot. He said, you're evil, you're corrupt, you've been stealing from me. How could I let you keep working for me, managing my money if I know that you're mismanaging it and you're stealing from me? The man, knowing that he was losing his job, turns and begins to go to the people who owe the rich man more. And he began to ask them, how much do you owe? And they'd say, a thousand gallons of olive oil. And he'd say, quick, sit down and write 800. And to another, he'd say, how much do, uh, um, 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 does, do you owe? And they'd say, 900 bushels of wheat. And he'd say, quick, sit down and write 450. And you'd think, why would he do that? The master found out that he was doing it. And he said, you're still fired, but I have to admit, you're a smart man. You're shrewd. You're thinking. Because you're putting yourself into the good graces of those who you will be among. Now this is where we pick up, Luke 16, 9 through 12. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, learn some lessons from this crooked but clever asset manager. Realize the purpose of money 
is to strengthen friendships, to provide opportunities for being generous and kind. Eventually, money will be useless. You'll lose it all. He says, but if you use it generously while you have it to serve others, you will be welcomed joyfully into your eternal destination. Let me stop right there. The man in the parable was buying favor with people because he was about to be homeless and without food and without any assets because his master, the rich man, was going to run him off. And this man began to use his influence and abilities to buy favor with people so that he would be welcoming, oh man, this guy cut my debt in half. This guy knocked down my debt by 25%. This guy was good to me. And Jesus says, generously serve others and you'll be welcomed joyfully into your internal destination. In other words, if you use what you have, you will build a life in which honors God. And then he says, if you're faithful in small scale matters, you'll be faithful with far bigger responsibilities. And if you're crooked and dishonest and you mismanage small responsibilities, you'll be no different in bigger things. If you can't even handle a small thing, a small thing like money, who's going to entrust you with spiritual riches that really matter? And if you don't manage well someone else's, God's assets that are entrusted to you, who's going to give you over to your important spiritual and personal relationships to manage? You see how small money is in the scale and the scheme of what matters to God and what should matter to us? God will give all the money you need to do all the things that you should be doing with money. God will entrust you because if he can trust you with the small things, if he can give you a little amount and say, oh my gosh, I love what they do with that. They're generous with it. They use it to buy favor from people so they can have moments of influence with people because I can tell you money does talk. Money does buy you favor. Do you want to know why we're spending about $6,000 on doing sugar rush pop-ups? It's because it's going to put us into the neighborhoods of all of the people that we want favor with. We want relationship with. We want to see them experience kindness and generosity and goodness and love from people with nothing expected in return. That's how we use money, to impact people's lives who need impacting, to love people who need loving, to serve people who need to be served. That's what money can do. And so God says, I want to give you more. But I can't even trust you with what you have. In Malachi, God accuses the Jews and he says, you've stolen from me. And while you steal from me, you'll live under a curse. The curse is the consequence of your behavior. It's not my desire to do that to you. You've chosen curse over blessing because you've chosen to steal from me. And they said, when have we ever stolen from you? And he said, when you withheld your tithe from me, that's when you stole because that is a covenant. It belongs to me. You made that promise. 
when you declared yourself as a follower of me and I promised to cover you with blessings, that was our covenant agreement. You promised to trust me and I promised to bless you. And so when right here we see Jesus saying, listen, if God can't trust you in the small things, if you can't be trusted out of every dollar to take a dime and use it to accomplish the things that God has called important, then how would you be trusted with 10 to give a dollar or 100 to give 10 or 1,000 to give 100? There's a joke that um, I've heard many pastors tell and it goes a little like this. A man comes down to the altar and pastor's there praying for people. And he says, pastor, I need you to pray for me. And the pastor said, oh, okay, what's going on? And he said, well, he says, when I was a young man, I made very little. I only made $10 a week. And he said, and I just determined I was gonna give that dollar to God. And so every week I tithed a dollar off my $10. And he said, I, I was faithful in that and I feel like God blessed me. And he said, and then a couple years later, I started making $100 a week. I couldn't believe how God had multiplied my effectiveness and the favor I had with my boss. I was making $100 a week. And he says, now I was given $10 a week faithfully. I, I didn't even think about it. He said, fast forward a few years later, I was making $1,000 a week and I thought, I've never seen this much money and I know that God is blessing me. And he said, I started giving the 100. It was difficult. It was hard. That was a lot of money, but I gave it. He said, Pastor, I'm a very wealthy man now. And he says, I make 10,000 a week. And he said, I, I, I'm gonna be honest with you. It, I can't even wrap my mind around the idea of giving $1,000 a week and tithe, will you pray for me? And the pastor said, of course I will. And he put his hands on him, he said, God help this man make $10 a week again. <laughs> because really isn't that the goal is to be in a place where you trust God. Where you believe that it's all God's and that if you manage it well, God will favor you and bless you with more. Let me put it into a, um, an analogy that maybe we could understand a little bit better, and this is what I'm closing with, is if there were a stock or a bond, it was a CD, and you looked over here and there was about 15 over here and they all paid about five or 6% annual yield. And this one over here, it paid like 35%. It, wouldn't it be sort of foolish to not take advantage of the one? You'd want the one that rewarded you the most, right? And you would take your money and continue to put it into the one that gave the best returns. Now, those funds are managed by people. They're not just algorithms or computers. There's somebody managing those funds. They're investing it and they're doing things with it, which is bringing that kind of return. 
we would reward the one that brings the best return. Who then will God reward with blessing? Among all of us, who will God direct blessing and favor and prosperity to? The one who does very little, who holds on, who hides it away? Jesus has a great parable about that too. Or the one that says, God, I believe that you're my source and I believe that you'll replenish and replace this. I believe that I don't have to cheat you in order to pay my taxes and pay my mortgage and pay all of these things and the people that I owe. I don't have to cheat you in order to do it, God, so I'm gonna make sure that you get what you're supposed to get. And I wanna use that to change lives and I wanna use that to move people's hearts and I wanna use that to do good things in the community. I want God for you to be honored in my finances. Do you think God will bless that? You don't have to answer because I can tell you he does. I can share with you that I won't say Lisa and I, I will say that I have struggled in times past. When Lisa and I were first starting out in ministry and I made so little money and she was home with the kids, she worked part-time when she could, but you know that when you have young kids, that's nearly impossible. And I had such a hard time. I mean, I would give, don't get me wrong, I would give, but to get it to 10% was so hard on me, I just couldn't do it. And it was our third position in ministry. I've told you this before, when a pastor, after I'd already left his staff, called me and just said, Chris, you need to learn to trust God. For the sake of your family, for the sake of the blessings God wants to give you, you have to learn to trust God. And without guilt or feeling condemned at all, I said, I really do need to. I can't preach this and then not practice it myself. And we began to, or I should say again, if I don't even think Lisa knew I was doing it, I began to make sure that tithe was the first thing I did. Now, for some of you, you're thinking this is unimaginable to me. I just want to challenge you begin to do something to signify your trust in God. I, I will tell you that the Bible has these promises that surround that tithe. Tithe means tenth. So when people say, I give $20 a week, I'm, I'm tithing $20 a week. Unless you make $200 a week, that's not a tithe. That's giving, that's an offering, and that's awesome. I think that's great, I really genuinely do. But I wanna tell you there's something truly amazing and magical that happens when you cross that barrier that it's a breaking point inside of you where you absolutely have to trust God. And then it comes. And I can pull 20 people in this room onto the stage who will tell you that exact same thing. Maybe your ladder is a bit longer and you need to climb some rungs of trust. I just wanna tell you, begin to trust God because the Bible says, Jesus, or God said, sorry, in the Old Testament, he says, trust me in this, test me in this, and find out that I'm faithful, that I'm a keeper of my promises. So I would love for you to go out on this journey. Not, I'm not checking anybody's, I don't look at any of that. But I would make a promise to you, and I can make this promise to you because I've seen God do it time and time again, so I have absolutely 
no reluctance whatsoever. If you honor God, he will honor you. If you trust him, he will reward you. If you give, he will give back to you, the Bible says, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Your sack will not even be able to hold all of that symbolic grain that God will shove in, the provision and supply that God will put into your life. That's my promise, and I can promise that because God promised it, and I've seen him fulfill that promise time and time and time and time again, not only in our lives, but in the lives of everyone I know who shared with me their trust in God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Sometimes I'm convinced that um, my notes leak out and people see what I'm going to speak on and attendance is lower that week than any other time. Somehow Google is releasing my notes to everybody. But I also believe that when the Holy Spirit wants to move and stir and change the way we think, that he'll put us in a seat to hear something that will move us and stir us and change the way we think. And I just want to pray this prayer over you. I'm not even going to ask you to respond other than kind of right where you're at in your heart and your mind so that you don't think that this is between me and you. This is really between you and God. That I just think there's a lot of people who need to say this. God, I'm stressed and I feel anxiety and I feel frustration. I do feel like at times money is what controls my life. I'm afraid of a future where I don't know where that next dollar is gonna come from if I'm gonna have a job a year from now or if the economy is gonna turn even worse and the dollar I have in my pocket will be only worth 45 cents. But I wanna trust you instead of trusting the dollar. I want to trust you instead of trusting things. I want, to, I want to use my money in a way that recognizes that every dollar has a potential and a purpose and that you know that potential and purpose better than anyone and your goal is to not strip me of all that and leave me homeless and leave me impoverished, God, but to bless me and favor me so that I can be a good steward. With every dollar, God, make my heart cry out, what should I do with this, God? Honor you first, now what's next? Honor you first, God, with this dollar, and then what's next? We pay our taxes, we pay our bills. We don't have to cheat one to do the other. But every decision we make about a dollar, that we say, do I need this or should this dollar be going to something more important? Do I just want this? And if I truly do, God, I'm gonna give in a way that indicates to you, that demonstrates to you that I'm seeking you first, your kingdom, and I believe you'll add to me everything, God. Even the desires of my heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and you'll receive the desires of your heart. God, that's my prayer is that we find delight in everything we do in you and through you, including our money. And that's my prayer for us all in Jesus' name, amen.